One year at the Chicago Pastors Conference, we had the privilege of hearing Ken Davis speak. Ken is a nationally known speaker. He's a Christian author. I have one of his helpful books in my library. He's also a Christian humorist. And so Ken is a very, very inspiring person. But that day in Chicago, he told about a very dark time in his life. During the financial crisis of 2008, he lost his retirement savings. There are two things that seniors greatly fear. One is a health crisis. Two is a financial crisis. And on the cusp of retiring, Ken Davis lost everything that he had spent so many years working to save, and it threw him into a very deep depression. Now, what a strange outcome that is for a man who helps so many people laugh, who has a book entitled Lighten Up, and here he was deeply down himself. How did he recover? Because he did recover. But how did it happen? Well, it was his granddaughter that helped him recover. She she was very sad that Grandpa Ken, who was always such a joyful person, was so depressed. And one day she said something to him that made all the difference. What did that little girl say? Well, really, it was the same counsel that Psalm chapter 3 gives to us. Now, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 3. We've been doing a series of studies in the book of Psalms, and this morning, I want to come to Psalm chapter 3 and bring a message entitled, How to Have Confidence in Threatening Times. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you what that little girl said to Grandpa Ken that made all the difference. But here's what Psalm 3 says. Psalm 3 tells us that the issue in our lives is always God. The issue is always God. And what are the truths that we believe about him that help us whenever a threat comes into our life? Well, let's look at them this morning. I want to begin by reading the superscription and then verses 1 and 2 and ask you to follow along in your Bibles. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, says David, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now let's stop right here, and I want you to notice the first truth that David shares with us that we believe about God. It is God's permission that allows difficult threats. God's permission is what allows for difficult threats. If what we just sang about this being God's world is true, and we all believe it is, then we know he is in control. Therefore, if a threat comes into our life, it is because God has permitted it. Now, we need to understand the background here to understand what David is talking about. David had made several wrong decisions, starting with his adultery with Bathsheba. His son Absalom became terribly bitter and vengeful. 
Now the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel that um, Absalom, his son, was the most handsome man in all of Israel. But you know what's true also of him? He was a smooth talker, a flatterer, a conniver, and he was a calculating manipulator. So he wormed his way into the hearts of the men and women of Israel by making promises like a glib talking politician. He had himself proclaimed king, and then he began a military coup d'etat against his own father. David was so caught off guard by this that he had to flee at once from Jerusalem to save his very life. And I want you to notice that two things for David were very extraordinarily painful. Number one, the sheer number of people who turned against him. Three times in verses 1 to 2, he uses the word many. And when he says, how many, it's very clear he's expressing a sense of shock. If you want to know how many it was, there were 12,000 soldiers available that first night to pursue David and murder him. When the battle finally ended, there were 20,000 casualties. Imagine having tens of thousands of people whose main intent and goal is your death. How painful that was. The second thing was equally painful. They were saying God had abandoned David. There is no salvation for him in God, they were saying, according to verse 2. That was their excuse, by the way, for piling on. They were saying, this is God's will. Now, I think we all know there's nothing more cruel than threatening people and then claiming God's approval for threatening them. You see, since David's adultery, many problems had occurred that might suggest God had deserted David so they were undermining David's confidence and trust in God's forgiveness, care, and protection. Do you know, one of Satan's greatest strategies to discourage us is by suggesting that God is through with us, isn't it? It's one of his greatest strategies. Because of past mistakes or sins that we have committed, Satan whispers into our ear, God's favor can no longer rest on your life. But David knew what every Christian knows. He knew if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God's people said today, Amen. And it was very clear, very clear. God had forgiven David, had allowed him to be back on the throne, and had not abandoned him. Many years ago, my old professor, when Lutzer was preaching a sermon, he said something in the sermon I never forgot. This is what he said. Don't ever base your theology on your circumstances. If you do, you will think God doesn't love you. And that is true. 
If you decide or I decide what we believe about God based on what is going on in our life, there will be times we would have to conclude, I'm not really sure God loves me. That's a dangerous path to go down. You see, it's very clear here we experience threats because God allows them for his purpose. Now, what is that purpose here? Well, that's the second truth that we believe about God according to this psalm, and that is this, God's purpose is that we focus on him. God's purpose in the midst of our threats is that we focus on him. Look with me at verses 3 and 4 and notice what it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Say, how many of you like the but gods in the Bible? Huh? Don't you love those? Here's another one of them, but you, O Lord. David turns his attention from the threat in his life to his relationship with God. How many think that's a pretty good idea? How critical that is. You see, here's what happens. The longer we fret over our problems, the bigger they grow and the smaller God seems. But the more we focus upon God, the bigger he grows, and the smaller the problems seem. And what David describes here in verses 3 and 4 is what God always does for believers. We could call these two verses our resources because we believe that God is the ruler in this world as we just sang. Let's notice the resources. Number one, he shields us. Look what David says. You are a shield, he says, about me. David had used a shield many, many times for protection in battle, and now he says, God, you are my shield. When he describes God as my glory, that's a figure of speech in which, in which David is using his fame and his reputation, the glory that he had accrued, for God who was the source of that glory. Think about all of his military victories. Think about his victory over Goliath. Think about him leading Israel to a great place of peace and strength. God had accomplished all of that. So now David says, Lord, you've been my shield before. You've brought glory into my life. You can do it in this instance too. You are my shield. And then notice he says he lifts up our head. Verse 3, you're the lifter of my head. Now that's a figure of speech in which the head is put for the whole person. And to lift up somebody's head means to restore them, to place them back in the place where they were. Do you remember how David fled from Absalom that first night? Remember how he fled? If you look at the story in 2 Samuel, you'll discover he left Jerusalem barefooted. 
His head was covered in shame. And he was being pelted by rocks, by a very, very difficult figure by the name of Shimei. And the whole thing looked extremely bleak for David. But here's what he knew. God controls my future. And therefore, he can lift up my head. He can restore me. That's the kind of God that he is. I don't know if you've looked back on your life and seen times in which God was shielding you and you didn't even know it at the time. I've had experiences like that. In fact, I would have never known that God had shielded me unless somebody had told me what was going on. I think of one circumstance that very much shocked me when I heard about it, and it still stuns me in many ways today, and I can't help but think about that when I think about God as the shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. It was in my first church, and I had been serving there for several years, when a man about my age came and he confided this to me. He said, I was opposed to your coming to our church. And he said, the day of the meeting in which we were going to vote, I was planning to persuade others to vote no. And he said, I have considerable influence in this church. And he said, I think I could have persuaded quite a few. But he said, I became terribly sick that day throwing up. He said, that never happens to me. He said, it lasted one day, the day of the meeting. The next day, he said, I was perfectly fine and went to work. He looked at me and he said this, God wanted you to come. I was opposing God's plan So God set me aside for one day, making me sick. And I stood there, and I think my chin hit the floor. I was totally stunned. I had no idea at all on that day that God was protecting me as a shield. What an incredible thing. Here's what I want to say to us today. If you are a believer, God controls your future, no one else. If you are a believer and you are in the will of God, God controls your future, no one else. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. Now, notice the third resource that David mentions in verse 4. He says he answers our prayers. God answers our prayers. I cried aloud to the Lord, he says, and he answered me from his holy hill. Now, I want you to notice the word answered here is in the past tense. I'm using the English Standard Version, and it renders it as a past tense referring to a specific answer. So I have to ask this question, how did David know God had already answered his prayer and would deliver him? How did he know that? Well, it's the third truth that we believe about God that he shares. Here it is. God's peace replaces our fears. 
God's peace replaces our fears. Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. How many of you think that that was a supernatural sleep that God gave to David that night? Right? Think about this. According to uh, 2 Samuel 17, it took all night for David's supporters to cross the Jordan. There was the real potential that 12,000 soldiers could pursue them when they were tired, disorganized, and vulnerable. And then when David got on the other side, he was sleeping on hard ground, and there was not a my pillow that they had in those days. Okay? There is no way that David should have slept at all that night. In fact, he should have been a nervous what? Wreck. God gave him supernatural peace in response to his faith and enabled him to sleep. The next morning, he realized God had sustained him on the most dangerous night of his life in answer to prayer. And now notice what David says. He says, I'm not afraid. Look at verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You see, God had answered his prayer and he knew God would do the same again. Do you know, down through Christian history, there have been many examples of this? Many Christians have found this same peace and bravery in the midst of threats that David knew. All of us this morning know Stonewall Jackson. Uh, he was a great Civil War general. He was honored by both sides for his bravery. He was a devout Christian. And I want you to listen to what Stonewall Jackson said. My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God knows the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter where it may overtake me, that is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. Now notice he said brave, not reckless, right? Confidence in God does not mean we become reckless, but it does mean we can be brave. And then David Livingston, the great missionary that opened up Africa in the 1800s, somebody came to him and said, you know, isn't Africa a dangerous and difficult place to be? Are you sure you want to go there? And here's what David Livingston said, I'm immortal until the will of God for me is accomplished. David knew that. And then the great 19th century pastor, Charles Spurgeon, said this, We need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer-hearing God. What is frowning at you today? Who is frowning at you today? If you rejoice in a prayer-hearing God, 
You need not fear who is frowning at you or what is frowning at you. You see, what this psalm is teaching us is this. If we are in the place God wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do, we need not fear. What a truth to grab onto today. If we are in the place God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do, we need not fear. Now, I love David's concluding summary here in Psalm 3. It's the first prayer in all of the Psalms. And I love this prayer. Look at verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What is David saying? God is always working on behalf of his people. He can save us now from any trouble. He certainly will save us in the future, safely in heaven. In either case, he will sustain us in every situation we face. And therefore, we can trust him. And not be afraid. What great truths to believe about God today. What great truths. That it's his permission that allows the threats that come in our life. His purpose in those threats is that we focus on him and be reminded. He shields us. He lifts up our head. He answers our prayers. And then to say, Lord, it is your peace now that will be the replacement for my fears. What a way to live in this world. Well, now I'm sure you all want to know what the little girl said to Grandpa Ken Davis that drew him out of his deep depression. You've all been waiting. I knew you were waiting. One day, the little girl is riding in the back of Grandpa Ken's car. And she said to Grandpa, Grandpa, is God dead? And he said, why no? What would ever make you think something like that? And she said, well, Grandpa, the way you've been acting, I thought maybe God had died. Out of the mouth of babes, right? And Ken Davis got his focus back on God. And that day in Chicago, he told a thousand of us pastors how good God really is. And that's what David understood in the greatest threat of his life. Let's bow together, shall we, and thank the Lord for the God he is.
as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, may I ask you this morning, are you living as though God is dead? Have the things that are frowning at you or the people that are frowning at you caused you to focus so much on your threats that God has become very small and the threats have become very big? Or would you say today, I'm totally confident that God is the shield around me He's the lifter of my head. He's the prayer answering God. And though this threat is very difficult for me, God is so much bigger that I'm focused on Him. And therefore, as painful as the threat is, it's much smaller compared to him. That's the birthright of the Christian. If we are in the place God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do, we need not fear. If you are a believer and you are in the will of God, God controls your future. No one else does. You can trust Him. These are the bedrock stones upon which we live the Christian life. If you're here today and you're not sure that you belong to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you to cast yourself upon his mercy. Ask him to save you, to make you his child. And then thank him that he will walk beside you and teach you about himself as you follow him. Lord God, today we love you for the God that you are. Forgive us for the times in which we have reduced you, minimized you. Perhaps, Lord, even by the way we have lived and acted, shown to others who might be watching that we think God is very, very absent. And teach us to live in your presence. Teach us to believe your word. When our faith is small, stretch it, test it, Help it to grow. And as you shine in all that's fair in this world, help us, Lord, to reflect that to those around us.
We know that sorrow and pain is real. You do not want us to live as though it doesn't exist. But at the very same time, there is a confidence. There is a trust that helps us. So we never sorrow as those who have no hope. How we love you today. Receive every good and perfect gift from your hand. For Jesus' sake, amen.